Thanks for listening to this audio resource from Sovereign Hope Church. And just to update you, thanks in large part to many of you, uh, we've been able to purchase a new home in central Missoula. And there's a lot of work ahead of us when it comes to making another warehouse our church home. And you can continue to contribute to remodel and renovation funds at achurchbuilding.com. But we just want to express to you how grateful we are for your support. And we hope that this resource you're about to listen to will be a blessing for you as well. Well, this morning we are in Matthew 6, 24 through 33. And I just want us to think about these past 18 to 20 months. They've been one of the hardest seasons a lot of us has ever gone through, right? I don't think I need to even ask you. I think it's been probably difficult for you in a lot of ways. And it really doesn't matter who you talk to. I talk to the missionaries that we support at Indian Trail Church, I talked to former seminary friends of mine who are pastoring in different places, and they all seem to say the same thing. This has been one of the most difficult seasons. I've seen it in our own body. We've gone through a time, a season of real difficulty where it feels like we can't do anything well enough, right? Somebody's upset with something. But when you think about it, COVID has also been this giant wrench in the cog of our modern age, right? You have rising inflation, shortages due to logistics and shipping issues. I read an article that there's a rubber apocalypse that is coming. Apparently, we're running out of rubber. So great, just what you need, a rubber apocalypse. And then you probably feel it here in Missoula, the, the real estate market is going crazy. It's just nuts. Great if you want to sell, but if you're trying to buy and get into a home, it's pretty hard. And I'm not sure what it's like been for you guys as you've been trying to build a future home for Sovereign Hope Church. I'm sure you've faced all kinds of difficulties, setbacks because of it. So in the midst of all of this, I haven't said anything about the societal changes, the massive sea change in American culture. We are tempted to be anxious. The new, the new Oxford Dictionary defines anxiety this way. A feeling of worry, nervousness, unease, typically about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. Friends, does this characterize you this morning? Are you battling with anxiety? Are you feeling vulnerable? Do you feel like life is hanging in the balance and you are uncertain about the future? Well, my senior pastor at Indian Trail Church, Kyle, he was joking with me when I told him what passage I was going to preach on. He's like, oh, you're going to go preach about money, which is like apparently the, the kryptonite for any pastor going somewhere to preach about something, which is why I'm doing it here in Missoula. But I don't think that our text today, Matthew 6, 24 through 33, is really about money. That's like a bad summary of a movie plot. I don't know if you've ever read these, uh, find them online. People summarize a movie, a popular movie, and in doing so, they make the movie sound like something totally different than what the film's really about. So I'll give you an example. You have the Lord of the Rings trilogy, right? Well, here's a bad summary of it. Group spends nine hours returning jewelry, right? <laughs> I mean, that, that's technically what happens, but, you know, that's not what the story is really about. 
And people will often point out how much Jesus talks about money, as if money was what Jesus was concerned about most. And I think, in reality, Jesus talked about money because human beings are consumed by it. I saw a post on social media that read, your life doesn't need purpose, just money. Which is a way of saying the purpose of life is money. Getting more wealth. This is textbook, uh, textbook materialism, the preoccupation with material things and a disinterest in spiritual things. And that is our passage today. Jesus speaks to his disciples. He tells them, don't be consumed by the pursuit of material things. Your life is much more than that. You have a far greater purpose. God has for his church far greater plans than you and I often realize. And what can crowd that out is a concern for, where's my next meal? What am I gonna wear tomorrow? What about my safety, my security? What about this house that I've got to make sure is ready? My, my 401k, my, my portfolio. So this is what I want to leave you with this morning. God is the one who has kept you and I these past 20 months. More than that, your entire life, right? He is our heavenly father who knows all that we need. And in it, God is helping us put to death our anxiety and instead holy trust in Jesus. So let me pray then as we get going this morning. Father in heaven, we do ask, Lord, that you would come and you would put to death in us this anxiety that gives no glory to you and instead reveals a preoccupation and idolatry with the material things around us. Father, I pray that you'd protect us from coming to you with the recipe for what is going to satisfy our hearts materially. I pray that we would see that you are a good Father, you long to give us good things. More than that, you long to satisfy us with the best thing, yourself. And you have given us Jesus to that end. Jesus is our greatest treasure. Help us believe this. Help us to see it this morning as we look into your word. Bless Sovereign Hope Church. I pray you bless those that are watching online right now. Father, I pray that you would speak and, and show in them Reveal to us our own anxieties. I'm just thinking my, my own heart and the ways in which I fret and worry and think about these things. So Father, help us, we, we ask and pray in Jesus' name, amen. Matthew 6, 24 says, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Jesus is making clear to his disciples, you have to choose whom you're going to serve. It is impossible to serve two masters. And the actual words for masters here is lords, right? And the, the word serve here actually can be translated be enslaved to. So you can read it this way. No one can be enslaved to two lords, right? You can work for different bosses, right? But you can only have one owner, that kind of devotion, loyalty, ownership can only be given to one thing. Having two owners, lords, means that you're pulled two different ways. You are a divided person. Jesus says you will either love the one and hate the other. So you cannot serve God and money. 
By the way, this word for money here is best understood. They call it mammon, which is translated really possessions. It's not just dollars in your bank account. It's everything material that you own that you and I can be tempted to serve. Whatever material treasure is for you, that is mammon, the possessions of your life. And you and I all have mammon. So brothers and sisters, my non-Christian friend, if you're here with us this morning, I want to tell you everyone will serve something. It's either God or something else. Bob Dylan wrote in his song, Gotta Serve Somebody. This is uh, just uh, four lines of his lyrics here. You're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed. You're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or maybe the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. I don't really listen to Bob Dylan, I'm not going to lie, but I think he's spot on here. You have to choose what or whom you will serve. Will it be money, possessions, something else, or will it be God? And by the way, if you're not serving God, who do you think you're serving? Yourself? Somebody else, maybe? Let me just tell you right now, it's either you, serve, you are serving God or you are serving Satan and his purposes. And Satan would love to have you think you're just serving yourself. You're just serving this other thing that can, you can add God on, but you really have this other thing in your life that you are pursuing. But that's impossible. Where do I get this? Satan's whole aim in life is to steal, kill, and destroy. This is John 10.10. 10. 1 Peter 5.8 says that he is a roaring lion seeking those who he may devour. Satan's purpose is to keep you from trusting in God. So whatever he can throw at you to keep you from pursuing the almighty God, whether it's money, whether it's hobbies, whether it's your family, whether this other preoccupation in your life, he's fine with whatever it is. He doesn't even have to be the one that you're thinking about. But make no mistake, you are serving his rule. So there is no neutrality. Either you serve God or you are truly serving Satan and his plan. So let me back up to this idea of possessions and serving money. Jesus isn't saying get rid of your possessions primarily. Get rid of wealth. He will certainly say that to the rich young ruler in Matthew 19, right? But only because he knows that man Loved being wealthy more than loving God. Remember, remember the rich young ruler, right? He comes to Jesus asking him how to gain eternal life. Jesus tells him to make sure he is keeping the commandments to love God and neighbor. Yes, hmm, this guy is doing it. Check that one off the list. Great. And he, the rich young ruler says to him, I got that down, Jesus. What else do I need to do? And Jesus says in Matthew 1921, Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Friends, the story of the rich young ruler is not about money, ultimately. It's the story of a young man who chose to cling to his idol instead of following Jesus. It's a story of what he loved, his mammon, rather than God himself. Jesus tells him 
what he, would, what he would tell anyone with an idol in their life, dethrone that idol, destroy it, worship me. If you think you can have all these material pursuits you want while wholeheartedly pursuing Christ, think again, it's impossible. By the way, Jesus is in no way anti-money, right? There's the stories about Francis of Assisi, uh, St. Francis of Assisi, where he was very anti-money and the monks that were following him, they did all kinds of things. One guy found a coin and he made the guy put the coin in his mouth and like put it in a dung heap or something like that. Just terrible stories where you're trying to like have this aversion to money. And Jesus is not like that. The very idea of wealth, money, possessions is a concept that God created. We are meant to have money serve us, right? Not the other way around. We were meant to use our wealth and treasure as a means of showing how much more we treasure Christ. Jesus is all about you and I being rich. It says in Matthew 6, 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Don't go for wealth in this world that you can't actually have. It's fading. But for treasures in heaven, go and get it. Like that's what he's saying in this text. Get all you can of that treasure that God is saying is himself. Right? Seek that treasure. But what does that look like? How do we do that? Let's keep reading. Matthew 6, 25 says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. See this therefore in 6, 25. Somehow the reality that you and I are owned by God, that we serve him alone, is to bring us comfort and keep us from the anxiety of the day. Where we get our food and our clothing, the latter part of verse 25 gives us this rhetorical question. Is, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And the answer to rhetorical questions are some, you're supposed to know that. You're supposed to go, oh yeah, 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 life is more than food, right? You, you supply that answer. And next, Jesus draws our attention to an example found in nature. Verse 26 says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns and yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Fascinating that Jesus would tell us to look at birds and have us deduce from that that God is going to provide for us, right? I mean, you really have to believe in the supremacy and the sovereignty, the God's controlling all things to see that birds are provided for by him. They are fed by God. Are you more valuable than a bird? That's a rhetorical question. Yes, you are. There are some out there that would say that no, speciesism, birds are actually just as important as human beings. We're not gonna go there, that's another sermon, but that actually denigrates the image of God. Yes, the truth is you are more valuable than birds. That's what Jesus is saying. But let me ask you, why does Jesus argue like this? Why does he draw us to these images of nature to make his point? Jesus is making 
this kind of argument, which is called an a fortiori argument. This is a Latin phrase meaning from the stronger. It refers to arguments that seek to prove a smaller point by appealing to an already proven larger point. In other words, since you can see uh, crowd, since you can see crowds of birds, right? Birds flying all over the place, getting uh, enough food without doing any work, and you are more important than birds. Just imagine you're there in front of Jesus and he's pointing out, look at these birds, they're all eating. You're more important than the birds. Therefore, God will provide for you. If he's providing for these small birds and you're much more bigger and important, God will also provide for you. God will certainly provide for us food and clothing, but is that all we're talking about in this passage? Don't be anxious about clothes and food. God will provide. Is that it? Well, back in the day, in Jesus' day, people were subsistence workers, meaning they really did have to rely on the daily provision as a laborer to get their day's wage and to buy whatever food they needed to eat that day. There isn't refrigeration. There's no supermarket stuff with non-perishable food. And perhaps this doesn't seem like such a concern for you when you think about daily food, right? You go to Costco, you drain your bank account there, you get the one-gallon jar of olives that my kids, you know, it takes a month to go through. Um, you can do all that. Praise God for Costco, right? We can go and swipe our card and get sweatpants and a big giant bob, you know, bag of popcorn. God is feeding us through those means. That's not something that we did on our own. God provided that for us. We have to remember, though, there are those in our body, there are those in our society that do not feel that kind of security. Some of you may feel more like you are close to subsistence. You live closer to paycheck to paycheck. And that anxiety looms large for you. You didn't get into a house. Now the market's blown up. You will never own a home. You'll die on the street probably, right? That's what it feels like. I want you to take heart, friend. God sees you are more valuable than any bird, which he feeds. He will provide for you. He will provide for you when you have another kid. He will provide for you when you're old and you can't work anymore. He will provide for you if somehow the United States melts down in a social anarchy, which it won't, just, it'll be fine. God will provide for you. You are more important than birds. And he's still feeding birds. You are more valuable than any bird. How valuable are you? Well, he sent his own son, Jesus, to die for you. So that you be purchased from Satan. Ransomed to be a son and daughter of God father. You are incredibly valued by virtue of, of Jesus' blood covering you. This is why in verse 27, Jesus widens the scope of our anxiety beyond food and clothing. He says, which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? It's another rhetorical question. Remember, you have to supply the answer. What is the answer? Which one of you can be, by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? Can anyone do that? More anxiety means I got more time, right? 
We got this looming deadline. If I worry about it, it'll be better. No, it will not be better. It will just be the same, worse. You're just more stressed out. And so worrying about your life and when it may end or the difficult things about it is not going to add an hour to your life. It's not gonna add to your lifespan. In fact, there are all kinds of scientific evidence that excessive worrying and anxiety will actually shorten your life. Anxiety cannot lengthen your life. Anxiety doesn't somehow magically put food in your stomach, nor clothes in your body, nor then pop you up with a solution to that problem. Jesus goes on to make the same kind of argument about our clothing and what we will wear in verse 28. He says, why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. And yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. And again, Jesus appeals to this image in nature of wildflowers growing in the field. They're out there in the field looking at these wildflowers. This example is even more passive than birds. The birds at least have some agency as they're flying around eating bugs and stuff like that. Flowers are just there. What do they do to produce in themselves the clothing, the, the arrayment that they have? Nothing. The wildflower is rooted in one spot and the creator of the universe gives them clothing greater than the greatest king in Israel. So what does he think about you? How will he then clothe you? And thankfully, we're not clothed like the king of Israel, but the most basic form of protection in this world, covering our bodies covering our shame, uh, the shame of nakedness, which I won't go into, but gives us covering and protection from the world, your clothing. He gives you, he clothes you. Verse 30 says, but if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Think of the temporal nature of grass. Wildflowers. I just mowed my lawn, you know, the other week, just mowing through all this grass. You throw it into the big green bin in Spokane and they haul it away. Think about that grass, just you, you lasted maybe a week, right? And yet God intentionally clothes each one of those flowers, those grass blades. God will certainly clothe you, his child, who is of far more value than those flowers. Therefore, don't be anxious. Jesus says it again in the next verse in verse 31. Therefore, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? Why? Why not be anxious? If you needed more explanation, a better answer to your anxiety, well, here it comes. How many of you, when you are anxious, apprehensive, worrying, or whatever term you want to use, and someone says to you, hey, you know, don't worry. Just chill out, right? How many of you that's like, oh, okay, good. Thanks for telling me that. That helps. It doesn't actually help you, right? I do this, you know, when somebody tries to tell you when you're upset, you're angry, and they're like, hey, just don't be angry. That, really, that worked really well in my marriage with Teresa. It's like, we're upset, she's upset with me. I'm like, hey, just calm down. You're like, that does not work. <laughs> it never works. How, why, do you, why do you even try? I don't know. So pro tip, don't do that. Don't just go out there saying, don't be anxious. It's probably not gonna help them. What we need when it comes to our anxiety is something that changes the equation, right? You have this equation, I need food, money, clothing, whatever material thing, plus 
add to that, I don't have the means to get those things. That equals, I have to figure out how to do this on my own, right? And it's a pretty urgent thing. It's up to me to produce for myself all that I need. And since you and I need to eat every day, the question of provision, long-term sustenance for ourselves is a right one. It's a good one, okay? You do need food. If it's up to you and I alone to provide for ourselves, do whatever you have to do to eat. Freak out about it. Have all the anxiety you need because, man, you need that next meal. So how does God change that equation? By the way, that, that equation, I think, is the world. It's how they pursue things. It's a dog-eat-dog world. There's only so much resources and you gotta fight to the death to get it. How does God change that equation? Verse 32. For the Gentiles seek after all these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Let me break this down for you. The Gentiles, the unbelievers, those without God, are chasing after food, clothing, possessions. Every day around us, you and I, the world is chasing after wealth, possessions, stuff to somehow insulate and protect them from death. They're anxious about their lives. When I was in high school, I visited Perth, Australia back in the year 2000. Perth is on the west coast of Australia. It's like kind of at the bottom. And uh, our church sent us to a youth camp there. It's kind of like a mission trip, but not really, though, let's be honest. But while we were there, we were visiting these Australians in Perth, and uh, they, they, were, they were telling us that there were tons of famous celebrities, rich people, that owned these homes along the western part south of Perth. And we're talking mansions, huge houses. Why did they do that? Well, the reason is, apparently, the air and the water currents were such that uh, they was predominantly fed by this like southern Antarctic current, right? Air and water would cycle through from the Antarctic. And so uh, they just had like really good air there all the time, apparently. And they're very proud of it. Uh, and somehow they were told, you know, somebody figured out, well, if there's a nuclear blast and we have nuclear holocaust, uh, Perth may be a good place to be because you're going to have, you know, isolated air that's going to cycle up through Perth and you may not, you know, be irradiated or whatever. And it just felt kind of ridiculous that like, they, people found this out, right? They found this place, somehow that's going to protect them from uh, a nuclear holocaust. But there you have it. And some of you may be thinking, hey, this is a good idea. We should go get property in Perth. I don't think it's going to work, but uh, that's fine. I think it represents the kind of seeking described here in verse 32. Do whatever you have to do to secure the future for yourself. Because this life is all there is. So spend everything you have trying to preserve this life. Do whatever you have to do. And when you serve yourself, when yourself is the highest good to live for, then yes, of course you will do that. Why wouldn't you? I would if I was my highest, most important priority. But not for us Christians. We have a heavenly father who knows perfectly that we need all these things. He knows the extent of our needs more than we could possibly fathom because he is our creator. He knows us better than we know ourselves. But don't you see that God also created this grand economy of existence in such a way that we are never going to outrun our need for him? In creation, he made the birds and flowers and every living thing. 
He made us with our daily need for water, food, rest, shelter, clothing. He made it so that we would always, he would always be the one to provide those things. We should be reminded that with every pinch of thirst and every pang of hunger, that, that our Heavenly Father knows such needs and he means to provide for them, provide for us all of those things. So notice this four in the beginning of verse 32. We are not anxious about food and clothing, our lives, because we have a heavenly father. The Gentiles seek after those things, but friends, we have a heavenly father. We are not functional atheists. Where it's like we come on Sunday, like, yes, God, you're great. And then the rest of the week is like, fend for yourselves. Jesus is a great bedtime story, but he won't take care of you this week. That is a lie from Satan. Are you someone that will, be joy, that will joyfully declare that Christ has saved you and redeemed you, yet you turn around and lament about all the things that you lack in this life, materially? Do you find it easier to trust God with all the things spiritually, but don't really believe that he can and will provide for you materially. This is what I mean when I say how one spends, saves, earns their money speaks volumes about what they believe about God. Anxiety is the opposite of faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen, when you don't see where tomorrow's bread is going to come, but you trust your heavenly father for provision, that is faith. The Bible is full of help when it comes to our anxiety. And Jesus says, don't be anxious. When he says that to us, he's not like you and I, like I am sometimes with my wife, just saying, hey, you know, just don't do that. Don't be like that. He gives us help. 1 Peter 5, 6 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Philippians 4, 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Cast your anxieties on him, God himself. Let him take them. 1 Peter 5, 6. Turn your anxieties into requests, right? That's Philippians 4, 6. Friends, we need to develop this discipline where we recognize when we are struggling with anxious thoughts and instead we need to turn those over to God. We need to go to him making requests. Why? Because 1 Peter 5, 6. He cares for you. If that doesn't give you hope today, I don't think anything will. In the anxiety of COVID in the last 20 months, if you can't feel he cares for you and believe it, nothing else is gonna give you any encouragement or hope. Going to God with requests does not bother him. It does not annoy him. It honors him. We come humbly with our tiny cares and concerns and like a good father knows and supplies all that we need. I can't tell you how many times I've prayed for God to help me find my lost wallet, 
a little anxiety that time and time again, he's like, it's right there. And he doesn't do so like a, I can't believe you would ask such a small thing, which I'm tempted to feel. He is a good, patient, heavenly father who cares. So let me close with verse 33. It says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Instead of worrying about your food, drink, clothing, the rest of the material things that God knows you need, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. God knows you need food. And this is now showing us the priorities that we should have. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. What is the kingdom of God? And this could be a whole sermon. It could be a series of sermons. But I want to sum it up for you. How do I sum it up in a paragraph? The term kingdom of heaven is all over Matthew. But the term kingdom of God is used only five times. This term is used by Matthew to point to the coming of the Messiah, Jesus. And his missions, his mission to establish God's kingship. Jesus came to inaugurate, to herald, to proclaim, to usher in the time in history where God is now in control fully in a way where he's ruling and reigning. This is the age of the good news of Jesus Christ and through his death and resurrection, the church is born. The body of Christ is formed wherever the gospel is preached. Missoula, Montana, Spokane, the ends of the earth. Please don't read, seek the kingdom of God and think more religious stuff. That extra group thing I have to do. More prayer time, longer prayers. Just add that on. Absolutely not. Jesus is commanding, says seek, pursue the kingdom of God. All that God is doing in the world, be consumed by that. Be consumed by him. Everything you have materially as you enjoy it, as you enjoy food, as you enjoy everything that you have, do so in a way where you are treasuring Christ more than those things. Got to hang out with a family last night in your church. They invite us over to their home. They lay out the spread of food and we fellowship around the table. We enjoy really good food and yet... In enjoying that food, we are treasuring Christ and each other more than the food. The food is a flavor. It's like, an, it's like a, just an additive to the fellowship that we have with one another. I hope that we can practice that as we live our lives as Christians together. There's a greater purpose in your life than what you think you want. So would you pray with me that the Lord would grow in us all a deeper understanding of what it means to pursue the kingdom of God. That we would so long for God to rule and reign in our lives. I picked up the literature about your building over there. I'm just flipping through it. And what I'm reading about is not a building. What I'm reading about is this vision for Christ to be made great in the city of Missoula through Sovereign Hope Church. It's amazing. I just, I'm, I'm just blown by, away by the, the language and how you're talking about what you want to be 
to this city and how you want to make Christ known. So praise God for that. I pray that the Lord would just give you all that you need for that building. So here's a promise, friends. Jesus will keep you until the end. Nowhere in the Bible is there a promise that you are kept from certain pain, suffering, sorrow, privations, and nowhere, nowhere more is this known than in our, for our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan right now, right? In this whole passage, there's no promise for a larger 401k, for a certain net worth if you follow him, and nor does he promise to increase your possessions. What does Jesus promise you then? That the heavenly father has for you the kingdom of heaven. In Luke 12, 32, the parallel passage to this one, Jesus says, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide for yourself with money bags who do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where there's no thief, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there, your, your, there will your heart be also. Also. He means to give you the kingdom, not sell you the kingdom, not rent you the kingdom, not lease you the kingdom, but give you the kingdom. And so this is the purpose of all existence. All nature, all creation, all human beings were created to worship our heavenly father. And we do this by believing in Jesus, the son whom he has sent to us. Friends, let me encourage you this morning. Do not be anxious. Your heavenly father knows what you need and he is giving you the kingdom. Seek the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you are the great king. Your, your kingdom was established most firmly in sending Jesus to earth, sending your son who came, inaugurated the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And that, that mission that he came to do, which was not only sacrifice himself for the sake of the elect, for the sake of the world. He came, Lord, to establish his rule and reign, to make known the Father. So we look to him, we have seen the Father who is in heaven. Thank you that we have seen through Jesus who you are. Thank you that we have a heavenly Father who knows what we need. And Father, I pray for those of us who are anxious, who are tempted on a, on a weekly basis to just struggle in anxiety. God, help them. I pray that the church would come around them. We would help one another in our anxiety at times. All of us struggle with this. God, I pray that you would meet every need for Sovereign Hope Church for the sake of greater love for Jesus, for a zeal for pursuing the kingdom, and for a desire to make Christ known to the whole city of Missoula. Thank you, Lord, that you are faithful, that you will do this, that your glory will be seen throughout all the world. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.